Well, so neat uh, singing that song. We uh, just came back, a group of 11 of us just came back from the Dominican Republic and we got to build a house and I'll tell you a little bit more about that next week, but we got to build a house for our family and just what an incredible blessing it was for us to be part of that, to use the resource you provided for us to be able to do this. But, but I, I, the reason I'm telling you about this right now is because we actually looked in the book of Numbers and, and we actually shared the, the passage that this song comes from. And we just literally shared this as a blessing over this family as we were giving them the keys to this house we built for them. It was just so incredible, so so amazing to be part of that and to be part of a church that loves people and that will love strangers that we didn't even know and do something for them. And so I'm just so excited for who we are as a church and what it is that we get to do to be able to love on and to be able to care for people, but even very specifically, even to be able to pray a blessing over a family that's 1,800 miles from here. And to just be able to share that with them in the name of Jesus. You know, as we, we think about families, that's really what this series is all about, Tested Love. It, it, it's about marriages specifically, and we'll get into why is marriage is about family. But, but it's about marriages specifically. And, and what we've done is we've looked for a couple weeks now at this of, of what it means to, to be part of this tested love. That, that we all love tested things. That, that, that those tested things are the proven things. Those tested things are the things that, that we can trust, we can count on. We, we love tested things. We just don't like going through the test. We don't like that. You know, we, we, we actually had to go through a test before we could come back to the United States and leave the Dominican. And we had to go through a COVID test. And, and, and as we went through the test, we're just waiting and going, well, are we positive or negative? Isn't it interesting that, that we're, we live at a time that like uh, negative is good? <laughs> We're just wanting to be negative. Can you just let us all be negative? You know, we just, we just want to think negatively, think negatively. Think ne- you know, we were. We, we were all negative. We were able to come back. But, but as we, we look at this series, Tested Love, that, that it is, it's about going through the test at times. And that's the hard part and the difficult time. But when we get all the way through that, that we have a tested love. We, we looked the first week at how do we get on the same page? That, that, that marriages that, that get on the same page are stronger marriages. And that we would, we would do this, that we would look. And, and, and I shared with you some very specific things that we could do for that. Well, last week, Corey came out and, and he shared with you guys and he taught you about what it means to really know your spouse. Knowing your spouse. And the bond he joined him and did just a great job of just communicating what that really means to, to be that helper, to be that partner, to be that equal because that's what we're talking about when we look at scripture and see what that means for us to be able to have this tested love. And to be able to share the, these, these three priorities of what we're, we're going to do when it comes to being known and, and shown and grown and that we would have all of this. And that there's that, that physical side, there's that emotional side, there's that spiritual side and, and how we've got to work and we can't neglect one over the other. Sometimes we all get in our own minds of, of what we think it needs to be. And today we're going to look at principles for a successful marriage. Principles for a successful marriage. So... You know, I, I think that I'm not going out on a limb when I say that I think the, the, the most successful marriages are, are marriages that experience more joy than grief. I, I, I think we'd all, anybody agree with me on that? Successful marriages that experience more joy than grief? Yeah. And so how many of you are experiencing more joy? Okay, no, we won't go there. Um, <clears throat> but, but I do want to really talk about what this means for us to be able to have this successful marriage. 
and to look at some principles that we can look at together that we can begin to understand some things. Because a successful marriage is a, is a marriage that is, it's, it's a satisfied marriage. It's not, not, a, not a perfect marriage, but it's a satisfied marriage. It, it, it's a marriage, it's a relationship that, that you know, even when things get tough and when things get difficult, that, that you're going to find your footing again and you're going to make headway again and you're not going to be stuck in a difficult place together. Would you be surprised if I were to tell you that there's actually a formula that we can find inside of our Bible, these principles of how to have a successful marriage? I think maybe if you're somebody that you you don't understand the Bible, maybe you've never really read the Bible for yourself, Maybe if you're somebody that, that your only understanding of the Bible is what, what people have done to kind of beat other people up with the Bible instead of encouraging and helping guide them, that, that maybe if that's where you land or if you haven't you know, just got to the point where you're going, anything I've read, I just can't be able to get and understand, that, that maybe for you, you might be going, yeah, I, I, I do think that I would be surprised if you were to tell me that there are some principles for success when it comes to marriage that would be found right inside of scripture. But I think for those of us that, that we go, hey, I'm, I'm a little more familiar with my Bible, and, and no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, some people might even say, well, of course, of course there's principles for success in, 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 in our Bible that we can find. But maybe some of you that would even be at that place of going, of course, of course, of course, if I were to ask you, well, where would we find that? It'd be, um, well, somewhere in there. I know it's in there somewhere. But we're going to look and we're going to see today very specifically. And <clears throat> I think some might even be surprised that you're going to be seeing something and you're going to see scripture in a way that you've never seen it before. Something that maybe you've read and, and, and you've heard a few different times. And you, it, it, it's just never jumped out at you. The, these principles that we find right here at the very beginning of God establishing marriage. That he gives us some principles for how we can have a successful marriage. So those principles are going to be found in just two verses, but I'm going to back up a little bit to give us some context before we get there. We've actually looked at these passages the, the last two weeks, and so if you've been with us either week, you're not going to be hearing anything that you have not heard before, but chances are that, that you could be in church for the very first time, and you're going to be going, hey, I, I, knew, I knew that. I, I've heard that somewhere. I didn't even realize that that was in the Bible. And so look with me, if you will, in Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Adam had the task, and named the creatures, and, and so he did. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And I know Corey covered this with you guys last week, and, and you got to, got to hear this then. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called, and, and it, you just got to remember the Garden of Eden, right? That there's Adam, and, 
And he's just kind of just there in all of his glory. And, and then God presents Eve in all of her glory. And he's never seen her before. And, and you know, he's probably looked at himself a little bit. And, and he's looked at all these other animals. And, you know, remember, it's, it's like pre-developed cotton. I mean, we weren't wearing garments, right? And, and so Eve, as God just prevents, presents her, I think Adam kind of does this. Whoa, <laughs> man. <laughs> and it really is that sense. And I know Corey talked about this too, but, but this sense of, of being in awe at what this was, this helper that God brought to him. And then I share that with you because I think our marriages still need to have this today. Whether you've been married a week, a month, a year, a decade, however long you've been married, to have that sense of awe of who it is that God allows you to be partnered with for life. And he says, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mothers and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So it's in these last two verses, verses 24 and 25, that, that we find four principles for a successful marriage. Four principles for a successful marriage. And so what is this first one? It's the principle of priority. The principle of priority, of, of where we begin to put our priority when it comes to this marriage relationship. So look at this with me again. Genesis chapter two, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. It's a, it's a shift of priority. Does, does anybody remember being a little bit younger and, and, and you weren't an adult yet or maybe you just started being an adult but you didn't have that significant other and you had to fill out a form and you fill out the form and it's like, and, and you look at it and it says, emergency contact. You know what we do when, when we're young, when we're not married? Most of us, we put a parent. This is my emergency contact. Some of us still do this when we're doing something with our spouse and going away and we have to put an emergency contact. It's a, hey, if our parents are still around, it's like, hey, let, let, me, let, me, let me share my parent. It, this, this is my emergency contact. Because see, when we're, when we're young and we're not married, we're not connected, we're not unified with our spouse, that, that we really do think in terms of that, that there's this incredible relationship that most of us grow up in a loving home. Most of us grow up with, with, with a parent that loves us and we know that and we're connected and, and we lean into them and we know that they are there for us. But yet when we get married, there is a priority shift. It, it's no longer about, hey, what, what do we need to do for our parents as our first priority? We now have a new first priority. And our new first priority is, is our spouse. And that's who we begin to give all of our first priority to. This idea of, of leaves and unites. Now the translation, leave and cleave. But, but this leaves and unites. The, the, this leaving of our parents is not a sense of, well, we just don't care what our parents think anymore and we don't care, we don't care what our parents say and we're just not gonna check in on them and we're not gonna be, no. It's, it's a priority shift. And we still need to love our parents, but our priority shift is for our spouse. And we have to leave behind this sense of 
for, for, for all of our, our, our memory of growing up, our, our relational priority was, was too apparent. But yet there is a shift that takes place. You don't, don't abandon your parents, but you shift your first priority. That I think that when it comes to having this satisfying, this, this rewarding marriage, it really is where our spouse is our first priority. And sometimes this gets challenged. Sometimes we, 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 we drift a little bit away from this and we don't keep them as the first priority. That maybe your marriage starts off with kids already. Maybe your marriage starts off without kids and then kids come into play. But kids will challenge. What is the first priority in a marriage? And that our kids, they cannot be first. Our parents, they cannot be first. Our boss cannot be first. The business we're trying to start up cannot be first. The hobby that we want to protect cannot be first. The first priority must be our spouse and when our spouse doesn't feel like they're our first priority or when you don't feel like you're the first priority for your spouse something will always kick in relational jealousy that we will begin to be jealous because we no longer feel like we are the first priority. Maybe it's even for some going, I never even felt like I was the first priority ever. And this relational jealousy, this feeling of resentment, it begins to set in. And as this this feeling of resentment sets in, it's because we believe that someone or something else has taken our position a priority. And a successful marriage understands the principle of priority. And with this principle of priority that this is, when when, when you say, I do, that that when, when you exchange your vows and you go all in and you commit, it's as if you are saying, I do have you as my first priority over any other human relationship, any other hobby that I would have, any other pursuit that I would have for my career and that ambition, that the only thing that would take a higher priority than our spouse should be our God. That's it. God's the only one that gets a priority greater than our spouse. And protecting your first priority, it really can be challenging. It's challenging when kids come into the mix. It's really challenging. It's it's challenging when 
when a career begins to start to take off, it can be challenging to keep our spouse as our first priority. When our hobbies seem to be that thing that, that, that we get to be involved in, we feel so much satisfaction with what we're doing and we get to escape anything, it, if we allow that to become our first priority, it will challenge what needs to be our spouse being our first priority. There was an article that was published in the Journal of Family Psychology. In that article, what it stated was after having a baby, 67% of couples see their marriage satisfaction plummet. It's interesting because when, when, when there's a young couple and, and we hear about them and they're expecting their very first child, you know, all of us that have kids, we're, we get so excited for them. You don't even have to have kids, you get excited. But we get so excited for them. And, and, and one of the things that I remember hearing when, when we were expecting our first child was I heard this. It's going to change your life. But you know what I've never heard? I've never heard somebody express when, some, when a couple's expecting their first child, hey, I think that's great and that's awesome. And God's going to use you guys in great ways as you raise that kid. But just be careful that you don't lose your spouse as your first priority as you raise your kids. Never heard anybody say that one. But that, that's really what we need to be sharing that we really need to be sharing of, hey, hey, be careful because it's exciting in the beginning. But for many people, their marriage satisfaction, it plummets. And so you need to work on some things to make sure that that doesn't happen with you. You know, when a kid's in a junior high and high school, that, that, that is typically where marriage satisfaction is at the lowest that if you're married and you've got kids that are junior high, that, that is really when it is at the lowest. There, there is such demand during this time and this season of life that, that our kids seem to be more active than at any other time in their life, that they need more chaperoning and they need more parent involvement and more showing up and supporting and, and being there for them. They need more <laughs> money than at any other time in their life of all the things that they're doing and trying to be part of. And, and we want them to experience great things or we want them to be successful and we want them to do things that we haven't been able to do before. And, and so we do, we just keep pouring into them. And then as we do, that, that, that it just becomes very challenging on who is the first priority. It's not until they, they begin to, to move past that stage and, and, and they start getting a little bit more independence that, that we start seeing some of that satisfaction begin to return. I, I remember when Noah turned 16 years old and, and he got his driver's license. Oh, relief. You know, I mean, it was great. And not only was it great because we weren't now transporting both of our kids around everywhere with what they were doing, but, but both of our kids were, were involved in tennis together and they went to the same place for their matches. They went to the same place and the same coach for their lessons and they did this back to back and, and it was great because they would just go together and we were like, man, we're finding a new sense of freedom. And I remember Noah hadn't been driving for a couple of months and he calls his mom. And he says to her, Mom, 
Now, he's got a little sister that's two years younger than him. And he says, Mom, tell Mary to stop bullying me. <laughs> she was trying to take control of, of, of how the car was going to be, what windows were going to be down, what was going to be up, what the music was going to be on. I mean, she was just trying to take control of all of it. And Noah was just having the hardest time trying to make sure that he could maintain control. And so he reaches out to Mom. Mom, tell Mary to stop bullying me. And, and we still laugh about that today because we're like, uh, you're, you're bigger and, and, and you're stronger, and yet she's younger. And, and yet you were concerned. And, uh, well, if you know my daughter, she does tend, tend to have a way with words. So... Um. But marriage satisfaction, one of the things that we have to do if we're going to experience the greatest satisfaction in marriage is we're going to have to understand the principle of priority. We're going to have to prioritize our spouse above all things except our relationship with God. Because eventually our kids that will challenge our first priority. Eventually, they're going to leave home. They're going to get to be 18, 19, 20, 28. And eventually, they're going to leave home. And when they do, and we find ourselves with an empty nest, it will be a very difficult shift if you've been making the kids your first priority. And then you kind of look at each other and go, what do we do now? You must maintain keeping your spouse your first priority. God designed marriage to get better over time. But yet so many think that marriages get worse over time. That, that, that when People are first introducing each other and they find out that somebody's been married three years or maybe even up to 13 years. And, and when they first meet them, it's kind of like, oh, well, the honeymoon's over. Because there's just something about, hey, when, when it's new and when it's fresh and, and we're going to make more sacrifices, we're going to make it more about you than about me. And, and as time goes on, if we're not careful, we drift away from that and we don't maintain this first priority of our spouse being that priority. So let me share with you four proofs of priority. Four proofs of priority. How do you know you're prioritizing your spouse? Here they are. Sacrifice. Are they seeing you giving up things for them? It, it, it's a way that, that we get to show, hey, yes, you are my priority. That, that time, the way I'm protecting time for us to be spending together. Am I doing that? Yes, protect time to do things as a family. That's great. But what about protecting time for just the two of you? Time, it's a proof of priority. Energy. This one might be the hardest one. Because sometimes we end up giving our energy away to any and everything else. And then we come home at the end of the day and we are spent. And we don't leave energy for our spouse and our attitude our attitude the, the, the attitude that we bring an attitude of, of cherishing an attitude of, of protecting what attitude are you bringing it is proof of the priority don't 
lay your marriage on the altar of success. These other things you're trying to do and be successful at, I want to be a successful parent, I want to be successful in my career, do not lay your marriage on the altar of success. The marriages, marriages are these things that God by design said, hey, this is how a family is meant to be built. And I know there's exceptions, there's single people, and you're adopting, and, and, and I praise you for that, and I think that's great. But that's an exception, it's not the norm. And, and marriages are these things that, that God, by design, said this is how we're going to build a family. And families, they're built around marriages. And it's why we've got to give this priority the strong marriages, they lead to strong families. That the, the, the stronger marriages, the, the stronger that family is going to be. If you've got a, a family and the, the, there's a married couple and that marriage isn't very strong, that family isn't going to be as strong as what it could be. And so we need to look and see what do we do with these principles. So, second principle to share with you. We have the first one, the principle of priority. Second one is the principle of pursuit. The principle of pursuit. Of, of me being somebody, I'm pursuing you. So when we look at this, and, and, and we get to see this in Genesis chapter 2, 24, it started out with, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That there's that priority and then we get to see the pursuit of this being united you know when, when you're single seems like a lot of singles would be looking for their soulmate that, that when you're single and and you start dating somebody and you're like thinking i found the one that maybe you even start expressing to some of your friends or some of your extended family and you start just sharing i think i found my soulmate well, I don't think that soulmates are found. I think soulmates are made. And that we choose whether or not we're going to be somebody's soulmate. In the way that we love them. In the way that we prioritize them. In the way that we pursue them. That we need to have this, this pursuit. One of the things that we should do with our pursuit is, is as a couple, we should have some high goals together. Because when you come together and you have some high goals, you know what that's going to take? It's going to take you as a couple having some high work ethics to achieve those goals. But one of the mistakes that I see happen in marriages is that couples only have dreams together. They just have dreams together, and, and, and where they have these dreams together, that there's a low work ethic to try to achieve that dream. And maybe I'm confusing some of you, but let me make this really clear. A dream is a, oh, wouldn't that be nice to have? A goal is we've identified that's what we want, and we're going to work together to achieve it. And I have no problem with couples that have some dreams. In fact, that's a good thing. But what starts out as a dream shouldn't end as a dream. You need to ratchet that up 
and begin to take some of these dreams and how do you promote them to where, okay, now we're going to make this an actual goal. This is something we both agree we're going to work on. We're going to work toward. And as you're working on that and toward that together, it's part of your pursuit for one another. And and you're both pursuing the same thing for your relationship and for your family. Emotions, they're going to come and going to go. And, and, and emotions are going to lie to us. Emotions are going to deceive us. And, and, and great marriages aren't marriages that are about, hey, they've got great emotional content and that's the only thing they've got. Their, their emotions are always high. I mean, there's emotional needs and we need to be working on those. But, but there's going to be times when our emotions are not going to be where we want them to be. I think about how, how, how we can all be people that we can, we can look over the fence and go, wow, the, the grass looks a whole lot greener over there than it does over here. And when the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, that's an indicator. It's time to start watering your own yard. It's time to start water. What do I need to be do to take care of what's on my side of the fence so that it can become greener? That we would do this and that we would make this part of our priority and our pursuit. So when it comes to pursuit, there's some, some ways that, that, that our pursuit gets some interference these things that come along and they can begin to, to deceive us and things like this. It's, it's one of the lies of a pursuit that if I marry the right person, I'll always have a good feeling for them. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of head shaking now. Because <laughs> many of us know that, but maybe there's a few that we've not really come to understand that and know that. Then another lie is if my, my emotions change toward the spouse that I have, I must have married the wrong person. It's another lie when it comes to this principle of pursuit. Here's another lie. Hey, if we can just get a few positive events in our marriage, it's going to carry us for the long haul. No. You can't base it on just a few things that's going to set you up to succeed over the long haul. The last one I'll share with you is if, <clears throat> is if we've lost the passion, <clears throat> if we've lost the passion in the romance, there's no way to ever get it back. It's another one of the lies when it comes to pursuit. Let me tell you, I think one of the greatest things that we can do to have a successful marriage is when you have two people that wholeheartedly Strive to serve each other. And as soon as you begin to measure how much they're serving you to determine how much you're going to serve them, you're messing up. We just got to go all in. What's the, what, what are all the ways that I can be serving you? A third principle is the principle of partnership. <clears throat> It's principle of partnership that, that we would partner with. And so, again, as we look at 
chapter 2, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and then here's partnership, and they become one flesh. This principle of partnership. That marriage is all about sharing. Marriage is about sharing the workload, sharing the household responsibilities. Marriage is about sharing in in the raising of our kids. Marriage is about sharing in making the decisions for our family. Marriage is about sharing the the finances and sharing the bank account. Marriage is about sharing. It's about sharing the same goals and working toward those goals together. Marriage is partnership. And we have to look at this and see this as a, as a partnership that, that, that Eve was taken out of the side. She wasn't taken out of, out of the foot so that Adam would trample all over her. Well, it wasn't taken out of the head so that, so that they could begin to butt heads and, and see. It was side. Let, let's just come close together. We're in this together. We're partnering together. And if there is something that a spouse is unwilling to merge into the marriage, a spouse is unwilling to bring in and to make sure that, that we're doing this, that there's a partnership, then you end up breaking the principle of partnership. And I don't have this dynamic, and I can't imagine how difficult this is, but I think when we end up having some blended families happen, I see this happen here more than any other time. And it is a biological parent that that says to their spouse, well, no, you don't get to discipline them. You don't get to instruct them. You're not their parent. And it's preventing a partnership. It's keeping, I'm not merging that in. I've also seen where some couples go, I, you know, I, I'm going to have my bank, this is what I earn, and I'm going to do this, and, and you just tell me what bills I have to pay, and then I get to use it all for, for, for me after that, and, and I'll do it, you, you have to do it. And they don't come together and bring it all together. Be careful what you don't merge together prevents you from having partnership. That marriage, marriage is brutal unselfish people it's brutal on them it's hard for them maybe maybe for you if, if you're going oh, I'm, I'm not selfish but my spouse is then that brutalness gets extended to you as well that it's in interdependence that grows a marriage this partnership hey inter- I'm going to depend on you for that you're going to depend on me this interdependence is what, what grows a marriage it's, it's independence that diminishes a marriage. So what can we be doing to make sure that we're, we're being more interdependent with what we're doing to protect the approach of partnership? About 15 years ago, into it, it, looking at my marriage, we'd been married a little over 10 years, we've been married 28 years, but... But as, as, as about that time, 10, 15 years ago, Cheryl, um, Cheryl spoke up to something because I, I have a tendency to say my a lot. 
It's just, it's just what rolls out. And I don't, I don't try to diminish her in the way that I've said this. And, and I've actually worked and corrected it a whole lot. But it, it sneaks out every once in a while. To, to where I, I would say things like, my boat, or my car, or my house, or my investment. Or, and I would just refer to these things that, that, that are my. I, when our kids weren't behaving, I was very generous and said, you're <laughs> trying to compensate, right? But, but, but she came to me one day and she goes, you know, that um, it really bothers me when you say my. Because it's ours. And it just, she was very wise in her timing. She didn't do it in the middle of a fight and add one more thing. <laughs> she, she, she just shared it at a time that, that, that good times were happening. And she says, hey, can I, can I tell you something? looking her in the eyes I'm looking for some loving feelings and what I mean to her and what all I've done oh yeah baby it really bothers me (laughs) that was not what I was expecting to hear but I've worked on it and made that what I say most of the time but I'm not perfect about it yet but it really is it's about this idea of partnership and she knew that and she knew that that I was keeping her from being my partner and my equal in these things that we were doing and having together. The last one I'll share with you that we get to see here is the principle of purity. The principle of purity. Adam and Eve, they, they, they were both naked before what we call the fall, before there was sin, that they were both naked. And yet what ends up happening is when they end up sinning, there becomes this blame transfer that <clears throat> Adam wants to blame Eve and Eve wants to blame the serpent and neither one of them talk, want to take responsibility for their own action. But this blame transfer, it was the first shortcoming that Adam brought to the marriage. I'm blaming her. God, it, it's the woman you gave me. And it was this blame transfer but when we look at this, Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That what we see when we look at this is we go, there, there was a principle of purity that, 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 that while there was no sin and while there was nothing else interfering with, with the priority, with the pursuit, when there was nothing else that was interfering with the partnership, they had this purity at the, at the highest level and after the fall we probably all know what they did they covered themselves but I want you to think about this in the way that they covered themselves they went to cover themselves physically and you know where they covered themselves they covered themselves where they were the most different from each other I'm going to hide that from you I'm I'm different from you there and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hide that from you and I I don't want you to see that because that brings shame now that we've done what we've done and that brings guilt now that we've done what we've done and that they end up covering up themselves and because they lost their purity that when we share 
our, our vows in a marriage. It's, it's till death do us part. That, that, that's the vow that, that we exchange. And some people take that so seriously that they'll go, hey, even if we don't even like each other anymore, we're, we're just gonna be uh, miserable until we part, <laughs> until one of us goes. Hope it's you first. <laughs> but that's not the intent of the vow. The intent of the vow is that you're my priority. The intent of the vow is you're my pursuit. The intent of the vow is you're my partner for life. The intent of the vow is I'm going to stay pure in my commitment to you. That my eyes, my heart, and my soul won't let anyone or anything come between you and me. When we see this and we live it out, we can have a successful marriage. I want to leave you with two things. I went long two weeks ago when I was here, so I'm going to go long again today. But <clears throat> I think when it comes to marriage, that we're tempted to think that the early years are, are going to be the best years. It kind of makes me think about wine. Because just a, a table wine is a wine that doesn't have a, a long shelf life. It's not going to last long. But, but you can open that up and, and, and you can drink it. And it's, it's pretty good. It's 20 bucks and, and, and you can have it and you can start to enjoy it. But, but the wines that are your more expensive wines, the, the, those are the wines that have aged and aged and aged. And they get what? Better with time. The, 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 the table wine, the, the, and, and so many think, oh, the, the honeymoon in the early years, those are going to be the best years. That is not how God designed a marriage. He didn't design your marriage to be the value of a $20, $20 bottle of wine. But I think a $3,300 bottle of wine does a whole lot better job of helping us to see and understand better with time and that's how our marriages should be but if we don't work on them they won't be marriage takes work and if you're willing to work on your marriage maybe, maybe you're single and if you're willing to work on a future marriage maybe you're going hey I I'm single and I can't ever see myself getting married again. Maybe you've got some people in your life that, that you have influence over. Whether they're married or going to get married. You can share these truths with them. But if you're married, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with a way that you can begin to have a deeper discussion with your spouse. So that you can get back to these principles for a successful marriage. And so if you want to do that, you're going to need your phone. 
you're willing to have some, some deeper conversation, you're willing to have a little bit of help to help you see what could I be doing, then I need you to text MSS. It stands for Marriage Satisfaction Survey. MSS to 210-817-8121. Get your phone out, take a photo of that, get your phone out, text it in. It's just short little, it'll take you less than eight minutes to do this. But I think you'll be able to spend more than 80 minutes as a couple talking about what you found within this. And it'll lead you to some great discussions so that you can have an even more successful, no matter where you're at, an even more successful marriage than where you are right now. Pray with me. God, thank you for designing marriage. Thank you for giving us these principles of what it means to have a successful marriage. God, I pray that that as we begin to to see the importance of going all in for the distance, for for all time, that, that we could really have this approach that I will always love you. That our spouse would never have to question that. God, I pray that our relationship with you would be one that would be growing so that as we love our spouse, it would be out of the overflow of the love that we have from you. God, give us tenderness where we need it. Give us tenacity where we need it. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.